and we are off to the races. In the background, you can hear the chainsaw. It's a sound that is getting more and more common up where we are. And that is not a good deal because, one, the more trees you cut down, the less strength and security you have in your soil on a 20 degree slope or a 10 degree slope. And they've cut down a lot and we're beginning to wonder when will the landslides start. If they keep cutting them down, it's just a question of when, not if. And the other reason it's not a good deal is that up in this part of the world, the coconut tree is the local bank. Now that sounds a little strange, I admit it, but here's how it works. You own a coconut tree, or two, or a dozen, and you find yourself short of money. Well, coconut trees have a pretty much guaranteed crop two, three times a year. And there are people out there who know how much that crop is worth, so they'll come up and mortgage your coconut trees. And when you can't pay the money back, it's their option to A, keep harvesting, or B, cut it down for lumber. Not every time, but many times, it gets cut down for lumber. And there goes your financial security, or what you had of it. So in both cases, it's not a good deal. Now, I should have said this at the start, but I didn't. This is a chapter 37, I think it is. 37 or 38, I'll look it up before I print it out and what have you. Uh, not print it out, before I upload it and name it. And it's just random thoughts. It's a Sunday morning, the sun's out, the neighbors are quiet. And the view's not so bad from here. Random thoughts. That was the first one back uh, about the coconut trees and the chainsaw. The second one is that the peanuts are surprising me. Um, for those that have been paying attention, give or take a month, month and a half ago, we decided that it was time to try growing peanuts in bags. It says you can do it on the web, and so what the heck. Uh, one of the ladies went down and bought some raw peanuts. And I sat there for half an hour, an hour, shelling the peanuts. Then you put them in water and you leave them for two, three, four days. And they start to sprout. That's the theory anyway. Well, I had about a hundred peanuts that I had shelled, and after three, four days, there was eh, maybe 15 to 20 of them that looked like they were sprouting. Some definitely had little sprouts sticking out of them, and others looked like they might. So I drained the water, took them out of the jar, brought them out to the garden. You've uh, seen that blog or two. And uh, I planted them. And sure enough, after a few days, they started to pop up. And we had seven 
out of the 15 to 20 that I put in sort of popped up at the same time. And I thought, well, fair enough. Uh, that's the way it goes. It's an experiment. Maybe the peanuts were a little old, but we're going to grow some, hopefully, and we'll take the best-looking peanuts and use those for uh, seed for the next crop. Thought it'd be a great idea. So they got other bags and transplanted the uh, peanuts that were in the single bag, and we then had seven large rice bags, half-sized rice bags, actually. We cut them down, make two bags out of each bag. And um, sure enough, they're growing beautifully. The thing is, for the last month, um, individual peanuts have been popping their heads up. Uh, and now we have 11 peanuts that have germinated, and I'm thinking, great! This was yesterday, by the way. I'm thinking, great, you know, ah, 11, we get between 25 and 50 peanuts on a plant, so maybe we're going to have 500 peanuts we can share amongst the family. Not what you'd call a great harvest, not going to be filling up our bellies forever, but it's a good start. And now today I go out and I take a look at the peanuts. I, I'm wandering through the garden and I notice there are two or three more that have popped up. And I'm thinking, this is terrific. We could well end up, who knows with how many. I, I, I'm happy with 11 of the three new ones, 14. Let's say we get 15 peanuts that have popped up. And in a couple months, that means when we start harvesting, because of the time delay in their germination, and I had given up on these peanuts, I didn't think they were going to germinate at all, we're going to have maturing peanuts over almost two months of time. And that's called rolling it over. That gets your harvest stretched out. That's good. So the, the peanuts are really kind of amazing and amusing me at the same time. I, I get a great smile on my face that I have right now, come to think of it. Uh, peanuts, that's the second random thought. Random thought number three is I'm slurring my words so I'd better slow my speech down. There you go. Uh, the strawberries. I've never grown strawberries before and the ladies seem to know what they're doing and this morning there are a couple of plants that have got small strawberries growing. This is looking good. It's still going to be a while, but it's looking good. Ah, uh, random thought number four. I turned on the web this morning, and I caught an interview uh, of the lady that after the, the Parkdale shooting, that terrible one a few years back, she got put into the position of being the active shooter response trainer for the FBI. She is the expert on what to do in school situations where there's an armed gunman. And she said a lot. One of the first things she said was, these aren't my people, so I can't really tear into them like I would if they were my people. But here's what I can tell you. And she started to explain things. Uh, the sheriff has said he was 
didn't go in with his radios because he wanted his hands free. And her answer was, you pack your gear. You figure out how to pack it because you're going to need it. The second thing that amazed me and shocked me, and certainly it's the only time I've seen a, a CNN interviewer repeat the same wow four times as he tried to get his head around this little statistic. 80 to 90% of the shooters are broadcasting what they're going to do before they do it. They follow a, a definite uh, trajectory. They go and buy the assault rifle. They buy a ton of ammo. Somebody at the store should notice that and report it, she says. Then they go and tell their friends. And some of their friends should take them serious and report it, she says. And then they go online, post manifestos. And somebody should pay attention to that, she says. And finally, they start walking around the school they're going to attack. They stock it. They reconnoiter it. They make sure they, how they can get in and where they're going to go and what they're going to do. These lone wolf gunmen aren't lone wolves. They're very proud of what they're doing and they broadcast it. And they can be, with due diligence, found and stopped before they kill anybody. The next thing she said that I have been wondering about since the start of this, we've got X number of cops, some say nine, some say 14, outside this barricaded door that's built to withstand a gunman trying to get into the classroom. And two, apparently, of their people got grazed when they tried to get into the classroom. The gunman shot at them and gave them flesh wounds. I guess as old-timers would call it. At which point the police backed off and waited to get proper gear so they wouldn't get hurt. They didn't seem to realize what was happening inside to the 19 children. Some of which, by all accounts, were decapitated because this guy shot off a little more than 100 rounds in that damn classroom. That's a lot of bullets to put into little children and two adults. But while he was doing that, outside the school, a group of policemen were going to classrooms on either side of where the shooter was, breaking the glass windows and getting the students the hell out of there. Brilliant. Good idea. Why the hell didn't they break the glass and shoot the bugger in the classroom he was in? I have wondered that since the start, and she said, that's a question I want answered. And I'm thinking, you and me both, lady. They could have, he was on a, in a classroom that faced open air between him and a bunch of policemen with loaded weapons was just a thin sheet of glass that they proved they could break when they got students out from either side, and nobody thought it was right to go in, break the glass, and shoot the bastard. I do not understand this. I truly don't. There are children in that room who for 40 minutes are texting to 9-11 begging for help. 
The police are outside the door and they think they've got a blocked door situation where the guy has just barricaded himself in and he's trying to decide to give up or not. And what happens? They hear more shooting. What do they do? Diddly squat. And the lady who trained the FBI says, rule number one, when you hear your gunfire, you go to the sound and you nullify it. Translation into English for us old time people. You go it, you find it, you shoot it. Kill it. Do whatever it takes to save the children. And the guy, police out there didn't. I gotta tell you, I'm with a, a well-known YouTube broadcaster, Bo of the Fifth Column, and he was the first day of this, that this happened on his channel. He's up there saying, if you wear the badge and you've got the gun and you ain't got what it takes to go into that classroom, get yourself a desk job or get out of the police work entirely because you're going to get a lot of people killed. And he's right. The police and the firemen have got to be the craziest organizations in the world. Firemen, they see a fire and a burning building, they run into it. Everybody else running out. But it's what they do, it's what they're paid for, and it's what their heart and their soul demands they do. And those firemen they get too old for it or lose that step or, or lose that little bit of inner drive, they either leave the fire department or they get a desk job. And no shame on it. You've got to do only what you can do. The police are sort of in the same situation. Somebody starts shooting a gun or brandishing a knife or a 300-pound dude starts popping people up and down with his ham-like fists they're expected to go in and stop it. They go in and stop it. That's their job. They aren't social workers. They aren't judges. They aren't your friend next door. They're the person that goes in and stops what's going on. And that requires a certain attitude, a certain strength, a, a certain warrior to use the prevalent term mentality. It can be taught, it can be learned, and apparently it can be lost. And if you lose it, get a desk job, save some lives. Jeez, I am really upset. And I shouldn't be, but I am. Random thought. Uh, it's a beautiful day. Chainsaws off. I can just in the very, very faint background hear one of my neighbor's radios. Not loud enough to bother about. The green is beautifully green. The reds are reds. The yellows are popping in the purple. It's a glorious day to be alive. And this is the final random thought coming up this one. All of this is at an end. Climate change, global warming, you call it what you want. We have contributed to it. And days like today are going to get fewer and fewer. 
and eventually they'll go away entirely unless, unless we get off the carbon. But we're worse than cocaine addicts or heroin junkies. We gotta have the fix. In Canada, people have about 25% of the population, if, if I've got it right, are cutting back on food to a dangerous level. They're willing to go hungry so they can put fuel in their car and go for a drive or go to work with their own car instead of taking a bus. That's sick, folks. That's addicted. That's time to fix things. I mean, I'm looking at what you're looking at in my camera, and it's a lot of bamboo. It's some carbon-based stuff in there. There's a little bit of metal. There's a little bit of plastic. Uh, can't get rid of it all. But we can cut way back. We can go greener. We can't go perfectly green, but we can go greener. Now, I sort of think there are two ways we can do going greener as humanity. One is we all cut back. And just to let you know that this is not just talk, I have got a five-year-old camera instead of a new camcorder. We don't have a private vehicle. We move when my wife goes around, she goes around in other people's vehicles or public transport. We are not into Toys R Us. We don't go on massively expensive holidays to the tropics. Oh, what the hell, that don't count. We live in the tropics. But we have changed our lifestyle. We have cut way back on the carbon. Uh, you can't see me because I'm at the wrong end of the camera, but my shirt that I'm wearing still looks good after 20 years, so I wear it. Uh, now, in the tropics, I don't often wear a shirt at all, but it was a little chilly this morning and rainy, so I put one on. That's why they last so long. I wear uh, Crocs or imitation Crocs. I don't know if they're rubber or oil-based, but they're terribly inexpensive, and they get on my feet, and then they get used by the dog for fetch, and when they're all chewed up and gone away, well, he gets my next pair that I wear out, and I do wear out Crocs. That's amazing, but I do. Okay, that wasn't my final random thought. This is. I don't know how others feel about it. It's still a, a very new blog, and I'm just... I found my voice, but I'm not sure I've got everything set up right. I like the idea of a video like this, where I come out and sit in the garden and I express myself. I also like podcasts where I sit in my house and I, or I sit in our house and I put out a podcast that's on basically the same subject. But I don't know if I want to go the written routine. I can, I can dictate it out in Microsoft Word using Edge. A dictation engine is pretty good and I can spend the time to lengthen it out that way and fix the errors. But it's going to be a two, maybe a three-barrel approach uh, to this blog. It's going to have video, it's going to have a podcast, 
and it might have uh, written words too. And this is not a random thought, this is a hmm thought that I got off Bill Mahar, is that how you pronounce his name, from his show. And he pointed out that Hollywood is one of the most woke places in the known universe. They protect every minority, every group. They're, they're very careful about sexual misconduct in public. They don't want Japanese people to play Chinese characters. Da-da-da-da-da. The list goes on. Until! And the list goes on because they say, well, what we do counts. People look at us and, and they take their examples from our movies, so we got to be good. or So people will be good. They say this. It's out there in the papers. It's why they do it. Except, this one little exception. They continue to make action movies, which are better called vengeance movies, because in each and every one the story plot's the same. Young white man or young colored man doesn't matter, or sometimes even young woman doesn't matter. It's a young person goes out and gets an assault rifle, tons of ammunition, and solves the world's problems by killing people. Very violently, very gory, very bloody. Unless you're a good guy in those movies, and then when you get shot, it's literally just a flesh wound to the chest. Miss the heart, I'll put a patch on it, and I'll go shoot everybody else up. The good guy never gets hurt really bad. Unless you're a loser good guy, and just a side actor. But the hero, he gets wounded, but he never gets his head blown apart by an AK-47. Whereas everybody else gets blown into tiny little bits, and they put this out there, and the audience is young people, and it's the young people that pick up the rifles and go to the schools. You think there's a connection? Hmm, maybe. Okay, that's it. This video's over. It's way too long at 21 minutes. I'm going to take me hours to upload this unless I'm real lucky. So you all have a good day, and I will talk to you again later. Bye-bye.